This is a Federal News Network podcast. The Research and Engineering Unit at the Pentagon has made some important investments at two historically black colleges, Howard University and Delaware State University. Under its research and education program, it will establish centers of excellence in some highly contemporary technologies. For more, we turn to the program director for science at historically black and minority serving institutions, Evelyn Kent. Ms. Kent, good to have you on. Thank you. It's good to be here this morning. And just for purposes of kind of setting the uh, context here, tell us about the office you work in at the Research and Engineering Office in the Pentagon, where that all sits in the in the grand scheme of things. Thank you. I work in the Office of the Director of Defense Research and Engineering for Research and Technology. And that office is responsible for DOD research and technology portfolios, from basic science to advanced technology development. Our organization ensures that the Department of Defense is postured to develop the next generation of disruptive and engineering technologies and enable the rapid delivery of superior capabilities to the warfighter. So you have established or will be establishing with some pretty decent size investments centers of excellence at these two institutions. Tell us what a center of excellence is in this context and what will happen there. Okay, so our centers of excellence are each focused on our DOD modernization priorities. However, there is a generic description that can be used in in regards to our centers of excellence. We define our centers of excellence as uh, they provide leadership, research, education, and best practices for a specific focus area. As you have already indicated, our focus area for Howard University is artificial intelligence machine learning, and our focus area for Delaware State University is advanced quantum sensing, and both of those focus areas align with the Department of Defense modernization priorities. All right, and students will be involved here too, correct? That is correct. Our students and the faculties will be involved in our centers of excellence. Uh, Each center of excellence, they have a program or project director, uh, that's aligned with our modernization priorities. And we have uh, anywhere from 10 to 20 students directly impacted and involved in our centers of excellence. These students will be hands-on research at those centers. They will also be provided opportunities to serve and to work in our defense laboratories in the summertime through internship programs. That is a 10-week program. Wow. And are these centers of excellence physical places? Will there be established rooms and and, uh, physical facilities? Yes. Uh, This summer, however, we are still virtual uh, due to COVID-19, but uh, in our other centers that were established before the ones at Howard University and Delaware State University, they were in person throughout the country and focused at our Army Center, our Army, our Navy, and our Air Force uh, research laboratories, as well as our new partner in the Department of Defense. We, it is titled CAPE, our Cost Analysis Program Evaluation Office that resides in the Office of Secretary of Defense, also uh, are involved in our internship program and are focused on, as well, the DOD modernization priorities. Because when you talk about advanced quantum sensing, that's the one at Delaware State and artificial intelligence and machine learning at Howard, then that takes some specialized gear at some point, correct? That is correct. For example, 
The center at Howard University will focus on developing and evaluating trustworthy, reliable, and robust machine learning uh, algorithms and artificial intelligence systems for our mission-critical application. And the goal here is to make sure that as we develop these centers of excellence, they establish and maintain uh, partnerships, not only with the government, but with industry. Because as DOD makes these investments in these centers of excellence, we want to make sure we sustain these centers of excellence. And as I said earlier, our priority is to make sure we provide the superior capabilities to our warfighter. So we want to make sure that as we develop these centers of excellence, there are applications coming out of these centers that can do just that, focus on our warfighter. We're speaking with Evelyn Kent. She's Program Director for Science at Historically Black and Minority Serving Institutions at the Defense Department. And how is the research agenda set? Because you don't want to have duplication of effort, say, with what contractors might be doing, with what the labs within DOD might be doing. So how do you coordinate all that and make sure that they're doing original work at the centers of excellence at these colleges? Well, what we have are subject matter experts in the Department of Defense that serve as our technical managers for the centers. They are our principal directors in our research and engineering, and each one of those directors, there are are 12 of them, and they are aligned with our modernization priorities. So what we do is we work with them, and we develop those research topics and research priorities for the competition of these schools to compete, which, uh, as you're aware, these modernization priorities, not only for the Department of Defense, but all federal agencies, artificial intelligence, biotechnology, uh, autonomy, cyber, all of them are very focused. However, what we do is we develop specific goals within each of those centers, working with those principal directors, to ensure that we produce the knowledge and understanding of the emergency science and technologies that these centers will focus on to support the Department of Defense mission. And what's your hope for the students that come through these centers of excellence? Well, our hope for these students is so they can get to know DOD's mission. And our hope for these students also at historically black colleges and universities and minority-serving institutions is to let them see and understand how both the military and the civilians and contractors, how we all work together. Because having worked this program for some time, many of the HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities, tend to think we're just a uniform organization. That is our number one priority. However, to support that warfighter, we have civilian and contractors. So when those students come in and they begin to get involved with the research throughout the department, they get hands-on experience working with all of them our military, our civilian, and our contractors. And it develops their skills in the science, technology, engineering, and mathematics areas. And these students are able to apply for our internship programs, as I said, out at our defense laboratories. They're also able to get uh, a network, to establish a network of contacts within the Department of Defense. And as you're aware, the young people now really love the networking and building those lasting relationships. So we want to make sure they build those lasting relationships through those centers of excellence that would benefit the Department of Defense, that would benefit the center faculty at their university, and also benefit the students. And are these up and running yet, or is this something that's going to happen? What's the status so far of the program? They are up and running. We launched the Howard University Center of Excellence, 
in Artificial Intelligence and Machine Learning on January 28, 2021, and we launch the uh, Delaware State University on March 2, 2021. Evelyn Kent is Program Director for Science at Historically Black and Minority Serving Institutions from the Defense Department. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for having us. We'll post this interview along with links to more information at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Rick Wade, Senior Vice President of Strategic Alliances and Outreach at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Previously, Rick was a Senior Advisor and Deputy Chief of Staff to Secretary of Commerce Gary Locke. He worked closely with the Obama administration, and he also worked with Commerce's Economic Development Administration to foster regional economic development in distressed areas and with the Minority Business Development Agency to create jobs through the growth of minority-owned businesses. He received a B.S. from the University of South Carolina and an M.P.A. from Harvard University. Rick, welcome, and thanks so much for joining me. And thank you so much for having me. Look forward to the conversation. Rick, in today's environment, leaders have had to adapt and find new ways to lead with transparency and empathy. But can you tell us a bit about how you've adapted your leadership style? You know, this past year has clearly uh, presented some unique challenges that uh, certainly me uh, or I as a leader uh, have had to adapt. Uh, You think about a pandemic, for example, that has placed us in probably one of the most challenging circumstances is sort of lead in a virtual world now. I've not been in my office uh, for nearly a year. And, And the idea that we don't have the human interaction uh, which I think is very important when you think about the I- empathy that is a, a very important value of leadership. So trying to lead from a virtual uh, environment chain and be empathetic and be sensitive to the needs of others has presented a terribly difficult challenge. One of the other defining uh, moments, I think, in our time uh, that has dictated uh, a change in leadership, if you will, uh, was the murder of George Floyd. I think it created a whole different consciousness uh, in America, and certainly within me, uh, about the importance of being empathetic uh, in, uh, in in the way I lead, to be inclusive, uh, to be uh, uh, to, to lead in a way uh, in which you're very sensitive to the impact of your decisions uh, on those on others uh, across our community. So it certainly has been a challenging year uh, to adapt, uh, but I'm happy to say that uh, I'm still here and we're moving forward. Perfect. Throughout your career, what have been some pivotal moments or lessons learned that have shaped the leader that you are today? You know, there have been so many moments, Shane. I, you know, I grew up in rural South Carolina, uh, quite honestly, at a time when I, I mean, I saw what legal segregation was. I mean, I, I wasn't able to go to an integrated school until middle school, being bused across town. And I remember, as strangely as it may sound, uh, in 1979, I wanted to run for vice president of my student body at Lancaster High School, a liberal school. And I had to run on the ballot as vice president black, literally. And there was another candidate who ran as vice president white. And the irony of that story uh, is that the following year, I ran for president and I won overwhelmingly. That was a lesson for me in leadership. 
And and the lesson there was, you know, perseverance, uh, have the tenacity, uh, have a vision, and overcoming barriers. And and I didn't let the idea uh, that the construct that I had to run as vice president uh, 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 deter me from reaching my bigger dream, which was to represent students. So I know that's a, that that perhaps may be a small example of leadership, but it really did define how I view myself, uh, the vision that I have, uh, my willingness to to fight for change. And that was that was the beginning. I think that set the foundation of how I lead. And there have been so many other moments. Uh, one of the most defining moments for me personally was uh, the, 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 the massacre at Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston, South Carolina, a very close friend of mine, Senator Reverend Clemente Pinckney, who lost his life. And, and it, it conjured up, again, these issues of how deep the divide in terms of race in America is. And, but it also inspired me to lead even more and to lead harder and to lead with diligence and vigilance uh, to help close that divide. So there have been so many defining moments uh, uh, in my career. I, I will tell you, even uh, after the murder of George Floyd and my role at the U.S. Cha- Chamber of Commerce uh, to galvanize the business community, uh, inspired by that tragedy. And now we have a whole broad, historic sweeping, what we call equality of opportunity initiative that I'm leading, that I, that, that, that I was inspired to develop. And we're bringing together corporations from across America to address what we call equality of opportunity. So my point there, I think, with all of these moments, they've all been pivotal moments at different parts of my life, my career, my journey. And I've seized those moments to make the best uh, of, of them, of, of what I could. That's fantastic. It's a great, great answer. Many stories. Thank you very much for sharing that. Um, who is the most impactful leader in your life? And what quality... Did you admire about them? You know, I, again, I can't say that I had, I had just one, but I would tell you the one person who, uh, who had, whose historical leadership has inspired me the most, and that is the leadership of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And there's so many attributes there that are consistent with my values. But the one, the one part of his leadership was vision. And I, I mean, the idea that you can have a dream which we often define and think of his big I have a dream speech. But I think that's a really important attribute of leadership, Shane, that you can sort of see beyond the challenges of today and see a better future for people and for yourself. So the the idea that leaders have vision uh, despite the challenges is seeing a forest despite the trees. It's seeing an opportunity despite the barriers. And that that attribute, I think, is one that that I embody. I mean, I, I I'm very optimistic, uh, despite the challenges, despite the circumstances. So the whole notion of vision uh, was a very important attribute that I I learned and that I've tried to emulate from the leadership of Dr. King. Wow, fantastic! And as someone who's got an extensive background of federal service uh, and out of federal service, what advice would you give? to feds looking to develop leadership skills. And, and you can talk about mid-career, senior career, early career. Um, what comes to mind there? Yeah, listen, I mean, you're aware that I had the, the, the fortunate opportunity. We didn't have a secretary of commerce when uh, President Obama, uh, of course, I served as one of his senior advisors, was inaugurated. And the president asked me to go to the Department of Commerce to hold the fort down. And that was one of the most exciting experiences in my entire career. 
not just for the title and, and, the, and the wonderful experiences, but I understood the value of federal employees. And, and folks forget sometimes, Shane, that we political appointees, we come and go. But the folks who, who are grinding every day, who are at their desk, no matter rain, sleet or snow, uh, who bring innovations, but yet don't, don't get the credit for it because the political appointees get all the credit. I think I learned something about the humility of, of being a leader. Uh, and and, and, and I, I, I built so many friends who were federal employees, not just at the manager level, but the frontline workers, the administrative assistants. And I was very deliberate. I mean, one of the things that I was most proud of, strangely enough, I was that guy, even though I was senior advisor to the Secretary of Commerce, and I, I, my office was on the floor, the top floor. We call it the blue carpet, Jane. But I made a deliberate point to go eat in the cafeteria every day, as many days as I could, just to sit down and talk with employees. And I grew from that. And, and, and there were so many times where I took their ideas back to the blue carpet and said, and I told the Secretary Locke, you got to go down and sit down and talk with regular, common, everyday folks. They're in the cafeteria, not in the dining room on the blue carpet. And so he started doing that. So the, the point is, I think for me, the advice that I would give is to continue to do the hard work. I do think that we should do a better job in government in providing the kind of admiration for those workers as we do the high level appointees. And, and that may be something that, uh, that I'm looking to work on myself uh, to help continue to advocate for our federal employees. Uh, they, they, those are the hard workers. That's where the work gets done. And, uh, and, and, and so I think that's a lesson for me, if there was some advice and counsel I could give, is to continue to do your work, but, but we have to do our work as leaders of these agencies to create ladders uh, of success and, and, and reward and admiration for the hard work that they do. Rick, thank you very much. You've inspired me. These are tremendous insights and stories. Uh, I love every single one of them. You've got a fascinating journey in leadership yourself. And thank you very much for sharing that with us today. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Thank you for listening to today's Lessons in Leadership podcast. And until we see you next time, take good care. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.